0: Hey everybody, I'm Mike Yeager, and I want to thank you for checking us out. Welcome to Vessel. We're so excited to get things rolling here in Meadows Place, it has been a blast so far. If you're in the Meadows or nearby in Southwest Houston or Fort Bend County, Stafford, we would love to meet you. Or if you know anyone in the area searching for a Christian community that is Jesus-centered, justice-minded, and a safe and inclusive place for all people. We are gathering regularly through the fall during this initial planting season, and invite you to join us on this shared journey of healing and hope. Here's the message from this weekend, and we pray it as a blessing to you. It feels like it's been a while. It's because it has been a while. It's, it's been almost a month since we were here in this room together for, for Christmas Eve, and we had a such a lovely evening. Um, those of you who joined us... Um, know that it was just a, a beautiful time and getting to, to, to end the night out in the in the parking lot while the stars were coming out. It's just, it's a memory I will cherish uh, for, for years to come. And those of you who joined us a couple weeks ago for the New Year's Eve kickoff, uh, or New Year's kickoff, I, I, I have two things to tell you once. Uh, one is thank you, because um, we had a really beautiful, vulnerably connected time. And I think it was very clarifying in, in some key ways that, that I'm excited to, to talk more about as, as we look ahead and the second thing is, I'm sorry, uh, because you're going to hear me repeat myself. Uh, but stick around long enough, and I promise you it won't be the last time that happens. So, um, but it's necessary in this case, because it's hopefully going to help us align with one another in the, the broader context around these conversations that I hope we'll continue to have together over the coming weeks. And if it's helpful at all to frame it under a kind of series heading, oh, that's, I, I didn't even put that on there it 's not that important i 'm calling this like all things new, but that's that 's just really for my own purposes more than anything, uh, because we remain a, a newly gathering newly practicing body, starting a new calendar year, and many of us, as we 've discussed, stepping back into faith community perhaps tentatively after you know some amount of time away and and it remains incumbent upon us to reiterate and to reinforce the the principles. that that we hope and pray will prove over time to have been a a stable and healthy foundation. A foundation meant to withstand the the myriad storms that are inevitable. As as Jesus said himself, may we not be like that house made on sand that the, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall and many of you are here today in no small part because you have witnessed or been a part of or have been directly harmed by just that churches sinking into the sand and that's you now these experiences exist uh, on a on a broad and complex spectrum and this is not about any one church or any one leader there are you know healthy large churches there are unhealthy Small churches, but I, I was I was performing a wedding in, in a last night, and so I spent a lot of time on the beltway over the last couple days between the rehearsal and the ceremony, and just the number of massive massive churches that that you pass by I just I begin to wonder and I don 't want to speculate, but I get concerned that we've built up all these these various temples when we know as our kids are, are Learning about as we speak that the Old Testament temple is not the New Testament temple. That the the pillars of fire that came upon the believers at Pentecost represent the same pillar of fire that existed in the temple and in in the tabernacle. And the temple is now contained within us, within the body of Christ. And so it's not about any one church, it's not about any one leader. But if we're paying the slightest bit of attention we don't have to look very far or listen very hard to hear the countless voices who have been victim to to spiritual and emotional and and even physical abuse or or the subsequent injustice of perpetrators of that abuse being protected instead of the harmed and and, or the vulnerable Or, or hypocrisy and moral failing as as trusted even revered leaders live out a far different ethic socially and financially and sexually and otherwise than the ones that they so passionately preach and the business and the busyness of the church claiming ever more precedence over the 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 people of whom it is comprised and even the the Jesus mandated mission that supposedly directs its activity and and if the church is to survive at all let alone with any degree of, of relevance I believe that we have to consider how things have gone so awry and to view the particular call upon this diverse and far-flung body of Christ with with fresh sight. Because for all of its brokenness, I continue to believe passionately in the local church. And I I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe in that. And And you would not be here if you did not carry a bit of that wounded hope as well. And so at our kickoff gathering two weeks ago, we we looked to Luke 5, in which Jesus begins his ministry with with a flurry of activity. And he's called his first disciples, and he's healed a a man with lesions, as well as the the paralyzed man. Recall the the man whose friends lowered him through the rooftop of the home where where Jesus had been teaching. He dined with a group of, of tax collectors and sinners and drawing the ire of the scribes and Pharisees. And then, as he often did, he told a parable. This parable that comes in Luke 5 and it says no one tears a piece from a new garment and sews it on an old garment. otherwise not only will one tear the new garments but the piece from the new will not match the old garment similarly no one puts new wine in old wine skins otherwise the the new wine would burst the skins and spill out and the skins would be ruined but new wine must be put in fresh wine skins and no one after drinking old wine desires new wine but says the old is good. Now, So the wineskins, as we, as we talked about, were made of, of animal hide, which would become more, more dry and, and cracked over time. And then we, we know that new wine would still be fermenting. There's sugars converting to alcohol and breathing carbon dioxide. And thus the, the need for a new wineskin that could withstand the, the expansion of the new wine and allow it over time as wine does to, to deepen to soften to to complexify to mature not unlike what we have set out to do together through this adventure right but I find it telling that this parable is is shared in the context of Jesus being so harshly questioned by the Pharisees why, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners in fact why are you eating and drinking at all John's disciples are faithfully fasting and praying, as are we. So what what gives? Why why do the rules not seem to apply to you? Literally, the next thing that happens in Luke's account is the the Pharisees continuing to find themselves just befuddled and frustrated by this person who is now openly breaking the conditions of the Sabbath. And in all of this, what they're not getting is that Jesus is declaring, I am the new wine. Whom the old wineskin of the Mosaic law cannot contain and so Jesus was doing things with his disciples that, that ignored the inflated rules of Judaism because the new wine cannot be housed in the old container it's an upending of the assumed and, and long-held sociological structure and Jesus was helping to develop a new wineskin a way of functioning to handle the new wine the new wine being the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And so he's asking, What good are the rules if you refuse to abide in my presence? So, what does that have to do with the church? Here are some numbers when considered together, I believe, begin to tell a, a, a troubling narrative. So, e- estimates have 85% of US churches either plateauing or actively declining. In 2019, the year prior to the pandemic, which I think is important, nationwide, more Protestant churches closed than opened for the first time. That divide continues to grow, by the way. And and, and recent surveys suggest that, that the average congregation size today is about 60 people. In the year 2000, that number was over 130. So 20 years, regular church attendance in our country has gone down by over half. Mega churches included that, that, that you can imagine that the number is, is skewed even more dramatically. and smaller churches, many are in even greater peril. A full third of regular churchgoers are age 65 and older, and that's a figure more than double their representation in the, in the population as a whole. Three in 10 American adults Identify themselves as among the religiously unaffiliated, the nuns, the N O N E S, nuns. Gen Z, a full 45% or higher, estimated also fit in that, that category. Almost half of our young people, whatever they think of Jesus, no longer view the church as essential to their lives. So the church is getting older and smaller. And countless communities face an incredibly steep road ahead, overextended by the expenses of large buildings and staff, and and struggling to maintain their missional commitments and community services without significant concessions. Now the reasons behind these developments are, are complex and numerous, but the critique at their core is the same. For an increasing number of participants and an increasing number of observers, too often the church has, quite frankly, ceased to be the church. Even more disheartening, the the prophetic call that has gone neglected and ignored is not new. Earlier this week I was revisiting Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, letter from a Birmingham jail Uh, written at a time when many faith communities were were unwilling to make a passionate stand for the cause of racial justice. And his words are as cutting and apropos as, as ever. And he says this, he says, so often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silence and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity. It will forfeit the loyalty of millions and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th, now 21st century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. That was 60 years ago. and remains a staggeringly precise sociological word of warning. The Pew Research Center projects that, that by 2070, if current trends hold, those who openly identify as Christian will no longer be a majority in our nation. And if that happens... If and when that happens, it will not be the result of some so-called moral decay or immigration and a diverse population that is only growing more so or alignment with efforts toward social justice or women preaching. You will hear women preaching here, by the way, my, my hope is soon or LGBTQ inclusion the steady erosion of the Christian witness, of the Christian influence, will be because of the decaying wineskins that we refuse to discard. It will happen because of a church that is more concerned with with claiming a moral high ground and gatekeeping and, and declaring who's in or out than it is with serving the poor and marginalized. It will happen because the church continues to sell its soul for the hollow assurances of political power. It will happen because instead of leaning in with faithfulness and open mindedness and trust and praying and moving toward what the church is becoming, we cling on to the old in stubbornness and fear of change. But if we insist that all of that new wine be forced into our established and tightly held religious patterns and our worship gathering growth strategies, those structures will burst and that new wine will spill everywhere. Or in the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salts of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can the saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. Stay salty, my friends. And yet, and yet, see, this is the turn. And yet I continue to have such hope and optimism for the ways that the gospel will meet and challenge and transform our notions of who we are made to be as a people collectively called to this time and place. Throughout all of geography and history, this is where God has placed us. How then will we live faithfully? How will we abide in the unique here? And now how will we in the words of the Prophet Jeremiah seek the welfare of the city where God has sent us for in its welfare we will find our welfare it's not about spectacle it's not about the programs and the the personalities we are directed toward passionate diligent investment in making this place all the more reflective of the kingdom which will one day see be seen in its fullness and led by God we get to do that together We get to remain collaborative and humble and authentic and nurturing and generous and empathetic. That's that acrostic I shared with you like day one. It spells change. To pray for the Holy Spirit to direct our steps and to move with trust and joy when our neighbors are in need and then generating from that place of abiding, then we're called to Judea. And Samaria and the ends of the earth. We become border crossers and we contribute toward hope and healing in the lives of not only our neighbors here in Meadows Place, but throughout Southwest Houston and beyond. And none of that requires a building. Vessel one day may have a physical location, God only knows. But it's already the church because you are here, living stones, which are the new temple. So a couple things before we take communion. One, if you haven't read the email, please read the email. Like y'all, I actually can see the metrics. So I know how many people have opened it. I know how many people have clicked on anything within it. The numbers are pretty good. That's only like one email a week, right? It's just how we know what's going on. Uh, so you may not know that we're, we are shifting into a new rhythm that I'm really excited about. So in two weeks, on we're, we're now gonna be gathering for worship every other Sunday. So in two weeks on February 4th, we will be right back in this room together, same time and same place. Uh, and in the alternating weeks, starting next Sunday, uh, Sunday the 28th, we will instead have uh, home group gatherings like we did two weeks ago to further reflect on, on these conversations, to grow in relationship and belonging, to pray for one another, and to begin to discover together what it looks like to craft a new wineskin made to hold a faith worth keeping, a faith worth passing on to our kids, a faith worth sharing. And I'm so grateful to Sharon and Anna, who are hosting next week. Very excited about that. Uh, And I'll send those details in the email this week that you will most certainly read. And maybe between now and then, spend some time in... In reflection and I'll, I'll extend these questions elsewhere as well so you can sit with them but what keeps you believing in the church what resistances are, are you perhaps still fighting or, or hurts that keep you guarded what are your hopes for the vessel community in the seasons yet to come and my, my guess is there will be a lot of really fertile grounds to cover um, I actually won't be there So Lauren and I have the chance to get away uh, for a couple days. I may be turning 40 on Thursday, but that's the last you're going to hear me say anything about it. Um, And I won't be there. And Vessel will still gather, which I find thrilling, truly, because that's what the church does. But if you hear nothing else today, please, please hear this, because it's the most important part. You are loved fully and completely, exactly as you are, no matter how distant God may seem or how detached you may feel in a given season. And that love, God's love, extended to us in its purest, sacrificial form through Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection invites us to see and to experience and to live into a new world, a new reality, a resurrection life in which death, we sang it, earlier no longer has the final word a new covenant in which we awaken to the truth that we belong not because of our own efforts and not because of our our self-professed righteousness or piety or purity or our strict adherence to some bygone law but we belong solely on the basis that our Lord has claimed us and by his grace declared it so it's not a status to be earned it's a gift to be joyfully and gratefully received, and in so doing, we experience a new freedom from the clutches of sin and death, liberated into the light of the new and enduring law, which is love. That's the gospel. And I pray it will be an assurance you receive every time we meet, and that you would share that good news with the fullness of your life. Thanks be to God.